Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Our second speaker this morning is Father Thomas Petrie. He is the president of the Pontifical Faculty of the Immaculate Conception at the Dominican House of Studies. Prior to being named president in 2021, he served for eight years as the faculty's vice president and academic dean. He's from Detroit, Michigan, and grew up in Madisonville, Kentucky. Uh, He got a BA from the Pontifical College Josephinum. He holds an SDB from Mundelein Seminary, an STL from our faculty at the Dominican House of Studies, and STD in Moral Theology from the Catholic University of America. He is a regular contributor to Catholic News Agency, the National Catholic Register, and his book, Aquinas and the Theology of the Body, to Mystic Foundations for John Paul II's Anthropology, was published by Catholic University Press in 2016. Father Petrie will be reflecting on faith and the priesthood today, also reflections, theological in nature, on the address of Pope Francis. Please welcome Father Petrie. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Father Lake, for that introduction. Um, It's a great privilege to have been invited to speak to you this morning and certainly to share a panel with uh, Archbishop Brolio and to speak in front of so many priests and seminarians and especially Your Eminence and Archbishop Pierre. I've been asked to provide some theological considerations on the priesthood in today's world. Of course, uh, the theology of the priesthood doesn't change, even if emphases or what we focus on might change in a given era. His Excellency's reflections on the Holy Father's address has given me a certain amount of freedom to launch off from Pope Francis's insights to focus my remarks this morning mostly on what the Magisterium has had to say about the priesthood in the modern era over the last 60 or so years with a particular emphasis on the Second Vatican Council's decree on the ministry and life of priests, Presbyterum Ordinis, and St. John Paul II's apostolic exhortation, Pastores Dabo Vobis. My goal, I hope, and I hope what, we, what I can offer you this morning is simply some reminders that might prove, I hope, useful as we spend the day thinking about the priesthood in today's world. And so to begin, a recurring theme throughout Pope Francis's papacy has been that we live in a time of change. In his address at last year's International Symposium in Rome, he said that not only is this a time of change, but it's a time of epical change. It is certainly a truism that every age is an age of change. Um, But I'm sure that we all would agree that the last 50, 60, 70 years have been, in fact, epical for the church and the world. I would certainly think that this symposium today is an explicit acknowledgement of that fact, of the impact of cultural mores on the priesthood over the last few decades. As he often has over the last 10 years, Pope Francis mentioned his concern 
about what he sees as the two usual responses to change. On the one hand, there can be a temptation to take refuge in the established way of doing things, to anchor oneself in the guarantees that the past offers in order to protect ourselves from risk. Now, while some sectors of the church are critical when the Holy Father brings up this concern, I think the plainest understanding is that he's distrustful of what we would colloquially refer to as a we've-always-done-it-this-way approach. On the other hand, he is also critical of what he refers to as an exaggerated optimism, a moving too far forward without listening without authority, without the Holy Spirit. His criticism of the German synod falls into this category. I was grateful that Archbishop Brolio brought up his, his, the, the Holy Father's insistence that we must view reality from the Lord's eyes with discernment and truth. Inasmuch as this time of change affects the life and ministry of priests, at last year's symposium, as Archbishop Brolio mentioned, the Holy Father proposed four relationships in which every priest must remain close and committed. A relationship with God, with the bishop, with other priests, and with the faithful. So I'm going to spend my allotted time this morning speaking about those relationships, but more so from the magisterial perspective of the last 50 or 60 years. Because these are not newly proposed relationships by Pope Francis. He's building on what the Second Vatican Council and his predecessors have also taught. These four relationships figure prominently in the Second Vatican Council's decree on the ministry of life and of the priest, Presbyterum Ordinis, and even more explicitly in St. John Paul II's 1992 apostolic exhortation, Pastores Dabo Vobis. I should also like to note that Pastores Dabo Vobis remains one of the most comprehensive and salient documents on the priesthood and formation for the priesthood. Still much cited 30 years later, for instance, in the recently updated Ratio Fundamentalis Institutionis Sacerdotalis by the Dicastery for the Clergy and by the USCCB's latest program for priestly formation. It still is, in some ways, the gold standard of what the priesthood is and how we should form priests. These relationships to God, to the bishop, to other priests, and to the faithful are not extrinsic to the ordained priesthood, but are in fact part of the priesthood's constitution. Neither is it, St. John Paul II argued, merely a question of these relationships somehow being juxtaposed or in competition with each other. Rather, he said that they are, they are relations that are interiorly united in the priest, in a kind of, and these are his words, a mutual imminence, which is to say, each relationship present and enriching the others. We know that relationality was a key theological theme in St. John Paul's pontificate, and so he went as far as to suggest that the priest identity has its source in the Blessed Trinity which is revealed and is communicated to us in Jesus Christ. The priest, he said, quote, is sent forth by the Father through the mediatorship of Jesus Christ, to whom he is configured in a special way as head and shepherd of his people, 
in order to live and work by the power of the Holy Spirit in the service of the church and for the salvation of the world. The priesthood fundamentally has this relational dimension precisely because the priest is in persona Christi, configured to Christ, a divine person, and the Trinity is itself the relationships of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Moreover, the mission of Jesus Christ, we should say, his redemptive mission, is carried out in love of his Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The ordained priesthood, therefore, is necessary as the church continues Christ's work sacramentally because she is, in John Paul's words, the seed and beginning of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, in which all will be in right relationship with the trinity of divine persons and with each other. The idea that priests should have a relationship with God is obviously a sine qua non for effective ministry. Even if we know that the sacraments work ex opere operato, regardless of the moral condition of the minister, we should not therefore take solace or somehow think that the holiness of the minister is unimportant. The council noted that, quote, while it is possible for God's grace to carry out the work of salvation through unworthy ministers, God ordinarily prefers to show his wonders through those men who are more submissive to the impulse and guidance of the Holy Spirit and who because of their intimate union with Christ and their holiness of life are able to say with St. Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, end quote. As an aside, I'd like simply to make also a note about celibacy here, something that Pope Benedict XVI once said in an interview, suggesting that celibacy should be considered something more of simply a discipline in the church. Because celibacy, he thought, helps the priest to be, in fact, a man who lives in the Holy Spirit, who lives by the impulses of the Spirit. Celibacy is a charism that helps to guarantee that the priest is a man of the Spirit. The closeness of priest to Jesus Christ is necessary from the fact, in the words of St. John Paul II, that it was Jesus himself who established a close relationship between the ministry that he entrusted to the apostles and his own mission. Their mission is not theirs, it's his. It's the same mission that Jesus has. All this is possible, St. John Paul II said, not as a result of human abilities, but only with the gift of Christ and his Spirit, with the sacrament. Receive the Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And so the apostles, not by any special merit of their own, but only through the gratuitous participation in the grace of Christ, prolong throughout history to the end of time the same mission that Jesus had. They do this for the sake of the world and for humanity. In fact, the nature of the priesthood, the dynamics of the priestly vocation, are also a manifestation to the church of the priority of grace in our lives. The very nature of the ministerial priesthood reminds us, shows us, that ministry does not come from within or from below, but from God. Pastores Dabo Vobis again. Through the ministerial priesthood, the church becomes aware in faith 
that her being comes not from herself, but from the grace of Christ and the Holy Spirit. One of the salient elements of the pre-spiritual life has to be, therefore, the awe and wonder that we have been called and chosen for this relationship, for this discipleship, for this ministry, despite our merits and our faults. St. John Paul II, the consciousness that one is a minister of Jesus Christ, the head and shepherd, should also bring with it a thankful and joyful awareness that one has received a singular grace to be a living instrument in the work of salvation. Also important for the priesthood in today's church is the relationship a priest has with the bishop. Almost 60 years ago, the Council Fathers already understood that the media and globalism was taking root. They wrote that the union of priests with their bishops is therefore all the more necessary, since in our present age, for various reasons, apostolic undertakings must necessarily not only take on many forms, but frequently extend even beyond the boundaries of one parish or diocese. No priest can accomplish on his own the mission entrusted to him in a satisfactory way. He can do so only by joining forces with other priests under the direction of church authority. Over the last several years, we've all seen priests active in the media, for instance, who launch out on their own, even to criticize bishops, their own bishop, or bishops in general. Priests who gain a certain celebrity or guru status that effectively seems to gather the faithful to them over and against the, the authority of the church, the authority of bishops. The priesthood simply doesn't make sense without the episcopacy, historically or theologically. The priest is a co-worker with the bishop, and although ordination confers a sacred power of its own, the use of this power, the authority of the priest, depends on his communion with the bishop, with his bishop first, and through the bishop to the universal church. We know this relationship is strained today. I was grateful for Sarah's question to His Excellency earlier. The 2022 National Survey of Catholic Priests, coordinated and sponsored by the Catholic Project here at the Catholic University, found that less than half of diocesan priests, 49%, have confidence in the leadership and decision of their, decisions of their own bishop. But as Archbishop Berlio noted, um, even less have confidence in the bishops as a general collective or as a whole, uh, 24%. The confidence in individual, uh, priests' individual bishops is down from 63% in 2001. Whereas 92% of surveyed bishops said, of course, they would be ready to help their priests in, in their personal struggles, only 36 of priests thought that their bishops would do so. As another aside, the same survey found that religious priests have much more confidence in their superiors than diocesan priests have in the bishops. But we should also acknowledge that the relationship we have with our superiors as religious is fundamentally different. We elect our superiors. And usually they have a term and a term limit. <laughs> and then they go back to being just one of us. More bishops saw themselves as father, brother, and co-worker with their priests, whereas more priests saw them as shepherds, but more so as administrators. 
In a culture in which the church finds herself increasingly embattled and at odds from the mainstream, in which priests are attempting to stand resolute, one and one hopes with pastoral charity, I know a lot of priests, particularly diocesan priests, don't often believe that they're getting spiritual leadership from the top. There's, this is, of course, no excuse to launch out on one's own, of course, but it shows that work is necessary to build up these relationships. And I was edified a moment ago to see Archbishop Broly and Bishop Brennan to be able to speak so candidly. This is the first step, is to be able to name that there is division in presbyterates, and that there is disagreement within presbyterates, even, and disagreement even among bishops. As the council points out, the spiritual gift which priests have received in ordination does not prepare them merely for a limited and circumscribed mission, but for the fullest mission. In fact, the council said, the universal mission of salvation to the ends of the earth. The reason, the council said, is that every priestly ministry shares in the fullness of the mission entrusted by Christ to the apostles. This is all the more reason, not only that priests need the authority of the bishop, but also a good relationship with the bishop. Also, though, a good relationship with other priests, regardless of ministry, and dare I say, regardless of tact. Given the importance of the mission of the priesthood for the church and the salvation of all, there can't be and shouldn't be animosity or competition between the ministries of priests. Presbyter Mordenus again. All priests are sent as co-workers, whether they engage in parochial or extra-parochial ministry. This is true whether they devote their efforts to scientific research or to teaching, whether they fulfill some other apostolic task or labor designed to a particular apostolate. All indeed, the council said, are united in the, in the building up of Christ, which, especially in our times, requires manifold duties and new methods. It's very important, the council, that all priests, whether diocesan or religious, help one another, always be fellow workers in the truth. Each one, therefore, is united in special bonds of apostolic charity, ministry, and brotherhood. Finally the relationship of priests with the lay faithful. For this morning's purposes, let's just acknowledge firstly the reality that priests should in fact rely, must rely, on the competence and expertise of the laity in their own field. To do otherwise would be the height of a certain clericalism. The ministerial priesthood and the common priesthood of all the baptized share in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ, although they differ in essence and degree, to quote Lumen Gentium. The council noted that priests should uncover with a sense of faith, acknowledge with joy, and foster with diligence the various humble and exalted charisms of the laity. Presbyter Mordenus makes special mention of laity who are attracted to a higher spiritual life and the solicitude that priests should have to assist them. How much do we learn from the laity and the lay faithful? St. John Paul II reminded priests and pastores Dabovobis that priests themselves are always in need of evangelism. In his emphasis on the new evangelization, St. John Paul once wrote that this new evangelization will demand priests who are deeply and fully immersed in the mystery of Christ and capable of embodying a new style of pastoral life marked by profound communion with the Pope, with the bishops and other priests, but also with a fruitful cooperation with the faithful. 
The ordained priesthood is directed to the good and to the building up of the priesthood of the baptized. Priests exist and act in order to proclaim to the gospel to the world and to build up the church. This is why Pope Francis and his predecessors have all focused on the priest as a man of dialogue, mission, and charity. In fact, the council said that priests have been placed in the midst of the laity to lead them to the unity of charity. It is their task, the council said, to reconcile differences of mentality in such a way that no one need feel himself a stranger in the community of the faithful. That's a high, that's a high challenge. Priests are defenders, it went on to say, of the common good with which they are charged in, in the name of the bishop. At the same time, they are strenuous asserters of the truth, lest the faithful be carried away by every wind of strange doctrine. We priests must be ready not simply to assert the truth, but to proclaim it with charity, conviction, and convincingly. It's not enough simply to speak what the church teaches, but what the church teaches must be what I believe and what I live. The point here is that the priest, and this is uh, John Paul II, must take the lead in seeking the things of Christ and not the things of their own, including their own opinions. While priests are themselves missionaries, and St. John Paul II argued that every priest should have a missionary spirit, Pope Francis would say that every priest should go to the fringe, we must also acknowledge that the lay faithful have their own unique role in evangelizing the world and bringing friends, family, and non-believers to come to know Jesus Christ. But the ordained priesthood is not ancillary to that task. Priests must not only equip the faithful in this task through the proclamation of the word and truth, but sustain them with prayer and the sacraments, always serving as the friend of the bridegroom, Christ, who seeks to be united to every soul. And this brings us back yet again, and to conclude, to the relationship every priest must have with Jesus Christ in prayer, in the sacraments, in Scripture. While it is true that ours is a sacrament of service, to borrow the language of the Catechism, the man who gives himself entirely to priestly service in all its facets, its joys, its struggles, and its relationships, will also find himself growing closer to Christ and growing in holiness. Thank you. We have time for a couple questions. Yes, Father in the back. Thank you very much. Um, Father Greg Markey from Diocese of Springfield, um, Diocese of Bridgeport, and I'm a chaplain at Thomas Aquinas College. Um, the reflections on the relation between the priest and God, priest and his bishop, priest and the priests and the people uh, is certainly helpful, but it seems that it's it's reflecting on, a, on, a, on an accidental quality of the priesthood, his relation, rather than his essential quality as to what is to be a priest. And the danger of so much emphasis on relation is becomes, a priest can become a social worker simply on relation. But what is the priest in his own identity? St. John Paul II says that, in numerous writings, that the priest is, is essentially a priest when he's offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's when his identity is his fullest identity. And so it seems like a lot of struggle today is that we're, 
emphasizing the, the accidental qualities of the priest rather than the substantial of what a priest is. And then this manifests itself, I think, in the division in the priesthood that we talk about. Why is one section of the priesthood on one side of the room and the other on the other? Because we have a different understanding of what the priest is. We don't understand substantially what the priest is. And so I was wondering if you could comment on that, on, on the emphasis on a relational priesthood rather than substantially what the priest is. Yeah, no, I think that's very helpful, and it's a very helpful distinction. And certainly, um, we can only do so much in one presentation, but I entered seminary right out of high school in 1996 and went to the Josephinum, then I went to Mundelein, and then I entered the province of St. Joseph in 2003. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think many people in this room probably would remember the sort of famous study of priests by Dean Hoagie at uh, Georgetown that sort of de decided that there, this was the whole fad in the 90s, right? There's models of everything. There's models of the church. There's models of the Eucharist. There's models of the priesthood, right? This was the whole thing. And the two models of the priesthood, after having surveyed priests that he discovered or identified was the servant leader model, Right, the priest as basically, I think what you're talking about, Father, the one who catalyzes the laity in their gifts and in their transformation of the world. And the cultic model, which um, I think, this is all very reductive, but suggests that the priesthood is primarily about cultic worship. And I remember at the time we were all reading this stuff in seminary, and one of my professors at Mundelein said that these models are just not helpful in, the, in a certain sense because they are, in fact, accidental that the primary identity of priest is priest, which is the one, as you say, who offers sacrifice. Obviously, that is the primary identity of the priest. We're in persona Christi and offering the sacrifice. But, it's ob it, but everything then has to flow from the, the way we offer sacrifice into how we, how we affect and engage in our ministry. And I think that's what Pope Francis was focusing on in his, in his speech. You know, the general instruction of the Roman Missal, I, I don't remember which paragraph, speaks about the way the priest moves and carries himself in the liturgy, should reflect and be, make him transparent in some sense to Jesus Christ. How we offer the Eucharistic sacrifice, our reverence, our devotion, so it should in fact affect the way that we carry ourselves in the priesthood just generally. So I would then see, say, suggest that the priest as priest offering the sacrifice, precisely because the liturgy is source and summit, should in fact overflow into all of these relationships, be built from them and flow it back in. So I don't know that I would, I wouldn't want to put them in juxtaposition with each other, but to say that the source and summit should flow into these. Father? Thank you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Father Andrew Wurzen. I'm, I'm from the Archdiocese of Chicago. I'm the chaplain at the University of Chicago in my second year, very much enjoying that ministry. Um, I wanted to hear maybe from both of you about a little more on this relationship between priest and bishop, that it listening to Father, your uh, uh, remarks on the study that was done, it, it seems that we definitely could be doing better. My intuition says that it has to come from both directions. Priests maybe need to trust bishops more. Bishops, I don't want to speak for what bishops would do. Um, Neither do I. <laughs> but in any case, is it, is it something that is, we also have to accept that there might always be tension in the sense of, uh, uh, as they're striving to trust both directions, that maybe uh, there has to be a great deal of charity placed to, in both directions um, because maybe our own sinfulness can blind us to other things. Would you be able to remark more on that? 
one or both of you? I think uh, I think you've hit it on the on the on the notion that there there needs to be more trust between uh, between both groups, um, and I think um, you, you know Saint Ignatius Loyola in one of the, the annotations to the exercises says that we should always give the best interpretation to another person's actions or words. Um, I suspect that notion is very absent um, in society as a whole, but perhaps sometimes too when we look at uh, when we look at things and you know, having having spent now twenty two years in a in a position of of deciding um, you know sometimes when you make a decision, it has to be one way or the other um, and those that are the object of that decision might not uh, might not appreciate uh, what you've uh, you know what you've decided, but perhaps if if the starting point is the bishop's going to try to do you know what is what is best for for the church, um, that might that might help the relationship. Um, it's probably never going to be perfect, um, and in fact, Pope Francis in his in his document talks about tension being a healthy thing, um, and and it's true because tension does help us to help us to grow. Um, we could perhaps do with a little less tension. Yeah, I, I think um, you know, I have a lot of friends in the diocesan priesthood because I was in diocesan formation for so many years before entering the order. And I think over the last two months, I've had visits from various diocesan priest friends. And I think all of them somewhat expressed feeling dejected or discouraged you know, by their relationship with their bishop or you know, even with some other priest. I found that very sad because that's not my experience as a religious priest um, in many ways. At the same time, I, I mean, to, to piggyback a little bit on what Archbishop Berlioz said, I have found myself in a position of administration in my own priesthood for the last 10 years. And I often joke with my brothers that I used to be allowed to think higher things, but now I have to think very practical things like accreditation and you know how to pay the bills and where the money is coming from and who's getting paid what. And, and I think about that and the amount of administrative work that a bishop is tasked with. Because one of the critiques I often hear is that a lot of, and, and, and we're, we're painting with broad brushes here, it's not true of every bishop, it's not true of every diocese, is that they often find that when they're, except when they're preaching in the mass, a bishop seems to be more concerned about administrative issues than they do about spiritual matters. You know, um, and but I think that the administrative apparatus of the church is is a heavy weight for bishops. The heavy weight that they have to carry. I think we have time for one final question. Yes, ma'am. Dr. Joan Gilbert, Holy Apostles College and Seminary, Connecticut. Well, I'd just like to go back to the question of the relationship between the essence and the uh, relations of the priest. And I think the answer is already given by you, Father, in the, what John Paul II taught us, the Trinitarian identity of the priest. Because um, even there, the essence and the, and the relation are one. And I think if we look to the scriptures, wouldn't we find... Even in the Old Testament, the priest bore the sins of the people. That was his identity. And he bore them before God. So he was identified as relating to God for men and for men to, for men to God. And in the Old Testament, the identity of Christ 
as priest is based in his self-gift for the bride, the church. So I don't think that we need to see a dichotomy between essence and relation. And perhaps maybe that's the problem we have of the lack of communion that we're speaking of, which is so heart-rending to hear, you know, as we, as we talk about it, that division in the church, if we can understand ourselves, our essence is to be in relation. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that's uh, excellently put. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thomisticinstitute.org slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.